I'm glad that you're here, even though we lost an hour of sleep. We're going to make up for it right now, and we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you can turn in your Bibles there. We'll get there momentarily. We have been on a journey as a church, and in some ways, we're coming in for a landing. We're not going to finish 1 Timothy today, but in the next few weeks, we will, and as Paul, the writer to Timothy, the young pastor at Ephesus, as he's wrapping up uh, this letter, he is now sharing some of the things, again, that are most important on his heart. One of the things that's on Paul's heart, that we're going to see in verses 3, 4, and 5 today, is the topic of false teachers. He uses some terminology related to health and sickness to describe false teachers. And essentially, the big takeaway this morning is that that false teaching is a deadly disease. I want you to say this after me. Turn to your neighbor and say, false teaching is a deadly disease. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment, all right? Think of the history of mankind. Maybe you studied this in school. Uh, there, were, there have been diseases that have been very, very destructive. Diseases like cholera and smallpox and yellow fever and influenza and whooping cough and bird flu and meningitis and syphilis and the bubonic plague and Ebola and uh, measles and malaria. And a lot of these diseases are preventable in our world today. And, but at some times in history, these diseases would sweep through and entire populations would be destroyed and wiped out. Now, it's interesting that uh, most recently, uh, the top 10 deadly diseases of our day um, are different from some of these of the past. The first and most deadly disease, according to a research, this is two years old, mind you, but 7.4 million people this year is estimated will have coronary artery disease and will lose their life because of it. So the heart. 380,000 deaths in the United States alone, according to heart disease. The second uh, biggest killer is stroke. Seven po- or 6.7 million people will die this year, estimated, from a stroke. That's one death every four minutes just in the United States, 130,000 just in the United States. That's a lot of people from stroke. The next one is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. How many have ever heard of that? I was a little unfamiliar, but 5.6% of all deaths this year will be attributed to that. It's a deadly disease. The next one really caught my attention, lower respiratory infections. 3.1 million people will lose their lives because of lower respiratory infections. And I was not feeling great last night after being with all these hundreds and hundreds of students at this convention, uh, Fine Arts uh, Festival. And And then I was reviewing my notes this morning, and it says here, according to the CDC, about 20% of travelers returning to the United States seek medical attention for respiratory infection following a trip. 20%! Packed cruise ships, hotels, and other close quarters like Fine Arts Festival... Increase the risk of transmission and outbreaks of disease. And I'm like, oh, Lord. 
and uh, maybe that's why I was sick last night. I don't know. I'm feeling better today. But, uh, but anyway, a lot of people. Number five, quickly, trachea, bronchitis, and lung cancer, 1.6 million people. HIV, AIDS, uh, 1.5 million people estimated will die this year. 5,700 people become infected with HIV every day. A couple more. Number seven, uh, diarrheal disease, 1.5 million. That's the second top killer of children under the age of five. Uh, number eight was diabetes mellitus, 1.5 million. Number nine, preterm birth complications. This is a lot of kids. Um, uh, 1.1 million deaths will be due to prematurity and low birth weight this year. Wow. And uh, that's uh, three-fourths of these deaths will happen within the first week of life. And then the last one was a surprise. I thought this was something that was kind of gone and uh, vaccinated. But tuberculosis worldwide is estimated will take almost a million, 900,000 lives will be lost to tuberculosis. And that's preventable here in the States, at least. And, uh, and it's very interesting. And as potentially destructive as these diseases are, and aren't you thankful for modern medicine that we don't have to deal with some of those things, especially you know the first list that I mentioned. As destructive as these are, they don't even come close to the deadliness of false teaching because false teaching will ultimately damn souls. Those diseases we talked about will kill our bodies, but false teaching has the potential of leading someone in the wrong path to their eternal damnation. The reality is in most churches, there's very little uh, talked about dealing with false teachers. You say, well, why is that? Well, in America, especially in our culture, in the name of love, a love that's not supported in a biblical fashion, we are called to accept everybody or everything or every teaching that comes along the way. And I just want to say, that is tragic. That is dangerous. Yes, we're called to love, but we want to hold the standard high. We're going to talk about this. And Paul, he understood that. He addressed it several times in 1 Timothy, this idea of false teaching and doctrine. This is not the first time in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, it warns about false teachers. A little later in 18 through 20, that same chapter, there were people turning away, being turned over to Satan. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, again, false teaching was the topic, and we've talked about this. And at the very end of the letter, the last two verses, you can read it, again, bring it back to this idea of being aware of false teaching. It's important to note that this is not something that just was on Paul's top list of things to talk about. Jesus talked a lot about false teachers. And we're going to read that, or we'll see that in Matthew. Peter talked a lot. In fact, we're going to really look at first, or Second Peter chapter 2 in particular around this. Paul, of course, in every single thing that Paul wrote, he talked about false teachers. The Apostle, Paul, or the Apostle John talked about it, and Jude talked about it. It was quite the theme of the New Testament. You say, why is that? Why is it su- was it such a big issue? The reason is that the Lord knew that we, are, if we are not careful, any of us could be sucked into false doctrine. We must be on guard. And just because we were raised in the assemblies of God, or you were raised Baptist, or Reformed, or you fill in the blank, and just because you can quote Scripture, or you're familiar with the Bible stories, you are not beyond false 
teaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, and I want you not to think about your neighbor. I want you to think about you, that you are not beyond false teaching. We're going to talk about bringing down some of those walls, how important that is. And it's tragic that false teaching can destroy a church. It can destroy the lives within a church. And because of that, there's this big warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to see today uh, some of the characteristics of a false teacher. And it's not comprehensive by any means, um, but, and you may understand some of these principles, but the reminder here is absolutely helpful. And I'm praying that it will be uh, really a blessing to you this morning. A quick note before we dive in and look at this, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to stand and read that momentarily. Um, I believe my role as your pastor is to warn people, to warn you uh, on subjects like this. It's not enough just to always be positive and always try to make people see the good side of everything. Now, that's my tendency. If you know me, I'm the class half full guy, right? I'm, in fact, when the glass is half full, I'm thinking the, the glass is going to be full again. I mean, that's just my mentality. That's my natural perspective. And I, I have to be careful that I don't put a positive uh, twist on just everything that we talk about because the reality is this is serious. This is very, very important. And it's an essential part of a healthy church is to understand false teachers. And we're going to read about that, and we're going to study that this morning. So if you'd honor God's Word by standing, if you haven't yet, you can grab a Bible on the back tables. You can follow along. And I want to actually start with the end of verse 2 that says this. It says, these are the things you are to teach and to urge unto them. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who, have, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And with that fashion, no, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. And with that, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord, we thank you. Once again, we set our hearts before you. God, that you would speak loud and clear. And God, I pray that you break down barriers and that you would just uh, help us, God, to be building a foundation that's strong for you. Lord, I pray that our minds would be sharp today to learn and then to apply what you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. In these few verses, I see six characteristics of false teachers or false teaching. The first is the content of the false teachers. And we see that in verse 3. Let's look at it. It says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... What we see here, and it's subtle at times, it may not be blaring out there, what we see is that the content of a false teacher is faulty. And that certainly would have been true in Ephesus. It says there, if. It starts it, and that word if is really if, and it is true. It could say, since there are false teachers and those that are teaching against the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what it could have said. 
In Ephesus, we've talked about it. They were talking about bizarre fables and genealogies. The false teachers were causing people to shipwreck their faith. We saw that in chapter 1. You say, well, what was the difference? What was going on? Well, we back up to verse 2, which we read, and, it, and Paul says, teach these things. You are to teach these things and to urge these things. You say, well, what is Paul addressed so far? In chapter 1, he talked about a proper understanding of the gospel. Chapter 2, the evangelistic praying was a theme. Chapter 3, the role of Christian leadership. Chapter 4, the responsibility of an effective ministry, uh, to be effective in ministry. Now, chapter 5, the responsibility in our relationships to widows and then ultimately as employees and anything that you cannot find in the Bible is against or would be considered a false teaching. So let me give you an idea. How many have ever been listening to somebody and they've got a new revelation or a vision? Or they pick one verse that is seen in a unique light. You've never heard it that way before. Alarms should be going off in your mind to search the scripture and to see what's being said. I really appreciate Pastor Bobby. Um, I bounce things off of him on a regular basis. He's a, he loves the word of God. And I'll be studying. I'll say, hey, have you ever heard about this? He'll dig a little bit and say, oh yeah, we've got some people we trust that, that will talk about this. Or there's been times he says, I wouldn't say that, Pastor, right? And I appreciate that because everything we read that's Christian Everything we see, maybe on Christian television, or we hear on Christian radio, is not sound doctrine. And I know that's probably a shock to some of you. Uh, but the, the question is, if it's not valid, if it's a fad or it's pop culture, then you're looking at false teaching. The word that we describe that from a theological perspective is it's heterodoctrine. It's different from what the Word of God says. When we talk about false teaching, the number one thing that is attacked is the validity of Scripture, the authority of this book. You may have debated it yourself or looked into it saying, hey, how can we know this is true? And we're not going to take the time to, to proof text that. But listen, we at the Gateway Church believe that this is the authoritative word of God. And it's important that we honor it that way. There are those that will question the virgin birth. Or they'll deny that there's only one true God and the, or that Jesus is God. Or it will deny the Trinity. Not you, Trinity. But uh, we got a young girl here, first time, Trinity. Uh, but it, they'll deny the Trinity or have all kinds of questions. Say, how could that be? Or if, if somebody comes along and looks at the attributes of God and says, you know, Jesus, there's no way he could have been sinless. That's false doctrine. Or they start to question the death or the resurrection. The point is, any deviation from what the Bible teaches marks out the virus of false teaching, and it can be deadly. If we twist God's word or pervert it in some way, if we are not committed to Scripture as the ultimate authority, we can be in trouble. The importance of God's word and teaching godly truth cannot be underestimated. It's so important. Sound doctrine should lead people to godliness when we get god's word in our lives 
it becomes alive in our heart, doesn't it, church? And holiness should be the result. A greater walk with God, a deeper, more uh, sound doctrine where it brings us to a place of right conduct. We see that in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talks about it. He talks about false teachers coming like sheep, but they, they're not sheep. They've just got sheep clothes, but really they're ferocious wolves in Matthew 7, 5 through 23. And if you look at that and you say, okay, what's the content of what's being shared? What's the result? What's the fruit of their lives? A deeper godliness should be the fruit of a real prophet or a teacher or preacher. And so we've got to know the word. Because if it's not, if it's not, if godliness is not the fruit, we need to have red flags up in our lives. And I would say my job as, as your pastor is to feed you a proper diet week in and week out because ultimately right content will lead to right conduct eventually it doesn't happen overnight sanctification is a long process till the time we breathe our last breath right but that sanctification process right content will lead to right content if you're with me say amen, amen. all right the second is the conceit of a false teacher let's look at it verse four Verse 4 says this, he is conceited and understands nothing. Let's just stop there. This is talking about the attitude of a false teacher. Many times, something that you will see is pride and arrogance and a boldness that is unusual. The Greek term that's used here, it says it's, it's engulfed in smoke. Therefore, it's like blowing smoke or being fogged in a puff of hot air cocky, a showman, maybe charismatic overboard, maybe a boasting of a superior intellect or these deep insights. And listen, it's not rooted in the truth. A false teacher uh, that doesn't teach the word it oftentimes is very, very conceited. A false teacher no longer teaches or preaches from the gospel but there's other books or other resources or fresh revelation from who knows where. That's what is being shared. And they may have a PhD. They may, uh, they may even write books or whatever. Uh, even, they may not even be aware completely of what they're doing. But Second Peter put, shines a light on this idea. I want you to turn with me there. And if you've got a, a marker, just keep a marker in Second Peter chapter 2 because we're going to look at it a couple times this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. It says, Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth to disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they have made up. False teachers will walk away from sound doctrine and just fill you with whatever comes across, uh, across the table. They'll fill you with stories that they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Look at verse 18, same chapter. It says, for they mouth empty words. They're, they're full of conceit, boastful words. They're, they, by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. 
They may set up their teaching as superior to God's word. We don't know. That's pretty bold. But regardless, there's a conceit in a false teacher. They're inflated. There's a self-importance, a superior intellect, and we must be careful. The third thing is the condition of the false teachers. Look at it. It continues back. Keep your place in 2 Peter, but look at 1 Timothy 6, 4 again. It says they're full of conceit. He's conceited and understands nothing. I want to pause there just for a second. This is dealing with the mentality of a false teacher. Again, they're inflated, kind of puffed up. They don't have insight from God's word. They may like to theorize or philosophize. In the Greek, the idea here is that there's a sick craving for questions and word battles. Look at it as it continues. He's, there's an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction. We'll talk about that in a second. But the idea here is that they have a disease. It's unhealthy. It's not about what kind of training or pedigree the teacher or the preacher has. It's about the condition of their heart. And if they're not using the truth, or they don't know the truth, they are sick. The truth is, apart from the revelation of God, we can know absolutely nothing. There's no wisdom without the Word. There's there's just not. Let me give you an example, and I know we've got some young people here, and maybe you've battled this when you were in school and even going way back. The whole idea of creation versus evolution uh, that's taught in schools, and certainly, at least in uh, this area, evolution, if you're in the public schools, that is uh, what is taught as fact, and uh, it's a little troubling. What happens, and the false teacher, it can be subtle, uh, and it really talks about their understanding, but there are liberal theologians that will look at the creation account and then look at science, what it's saying, and they'll talk about things like progressive creationism or theistic evolution, and they'll come up with ways to kind of blend the two. And can I just say this? That when I read the Word of God, it says on day one, this happened. On day two, this happened. And then it says there was morning and then evening, day one, God called it good, period, right? And to me, you accept that by faith. There's a faith measure there, and it doesn't take any more faith to believe that than to believe in some of these other things that try to sneak in. You may not understand it all, and I certainly don't, but we can, with confidence, we can know that the God of our salvation has given us a document that is absolutely perfect. It's the truth. And I want to say to some of the students here, and not that you would boast this or be uh, rude or obnoxious about it, but there are times, students, that you, because of your understanding of Scripture and your belief, your faith in Scripture, you may know more than your professor or your teacher. And you don't want to brag about that, but listen, the Word of God is absolutely true. And the condition of a false teacher is that they understand nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and a false teacher has this disease, and it's seen in the refusal to affirm God's Word as the sole source of spirituality and health in its teaching. This is where we turn, church. 
And that is really, really important. Number four is the consequence of false teachers. And track with me. This is the results. Let's look at it in verse four and five. It says he has this unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels that results in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, right? (laughs) It's chaos. There's confusion. There's envy and jealousy. There's quarrels. There's friction when false teachings are being presented. Remember earlier I said that godliness is a result of sound doctrine, that when we have right content, it should lead to right conduct? Well, the truth is it's not only godliness, but there's a unity that comes as well. Unity is the test of the truth. Truth leads to godliness and unity. And where there's false teaching, there ultimately will be disunity, friction, error, evil suspicions, bad motives, and the like. The consequences of a false teacher. I said first service. It does, it's not like uh, it just you know, happens if, if it's shared in a uh, setting like this, something that's wrong. It, th- there's a ripple effect. Someone's going to tell someone that's going to tell someone, and it, it, it is dangerous. It is very dangerous. Very important to have sound teaching. Number five, let's look at the corruption. The corruption comes when it says there's constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have robbed the truth, right? That's talking about a corruption of the mind. This, this robbing of the truth talks about an unregenerated mind. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It talks about a reprobate mind given to do evil, where you walk away from sound doctrine, what happens? Your mind is corrupt. Let's look at it. Verse 28 says, Furthermore, since they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. In other words, they said, look, the word of God is not important. They walk away. Look at what it says. And he gave them over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, to do what ought not to be done. Corruption. That's scary. And the source of a false teacher is a corrupt mind. It's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 2.16 that says that we have the mind of Christ. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have the mind of Christ. And that is not true of false teachers. I ask you to keep your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're there or turn back there, look at it. It kind of describes the same thing. Verse 12, but these men and women blaspheme in matters that they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. Wow. They too will perish. And a lot of times they won't know that they'll perish. Let's look at it. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ and again are entangled in it and, o- and overcome, they are worse off than at the beginning or at the end than they were at the beginning. This is talking about someone that maybe had faith, had the truth, and then walked away and dismissed the truth and followed false teaching. Look what it says in verse 21. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
It's really, really important. The last thing is the cause. Like, what would cause someone to be a false teacher, whether they knew it or didn't? And what we see in verse 5 at the very end, they, they're robbed of the truth, and they think that godliness was a mean to financial gain. What motivates a false teacher? In many, many cases, it's money, money, money. I hope you're still there in 2 Peter chapter 2. We see that reiterated. Look at it. It says, with eyes, verse 14, full of adultery. They never stopped sinning. They seduced the unstable. They were experts in greed. This is false teachers. They were experts in greed. An accuser or, or an accursed brood. Verse 15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. You may not be familiar with the story of Balaam, but Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament who could be bought for a message, who would give a message to the highest bidder. Very scary. Jude describes it in verse 16. We talked about it already. He says that they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and have faltered or have flattered people for the sake of their own advantage to get ahead. False teachers see their teaching as a road to the good life. And where it's subtle, sometimes what they're teaching Many times, the motive behind it, the money, is not so subtle. How many are with me? How many have seen it at one point or another where people are manipulated? I remember watching on TV um, several years ago, and Jessica's like, turn that off. And I'd watch this telethon, and they're like, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, make a pledge, make a And, I mean, God bless them, I don't know. Uh, but, I, but I did something back when we were first married that Jessica was not so happy about. Um, I was taking a class in college and about false doctrines is very subject. And um, we learned, I learned at that time about a ministry, <laughs> a false ministry, uh, Peter Popoff. How many have ever heard of Peter Popoff? Well, at the time, I looked it up and uh, found out that if I sent $7.77 to his ministry, he was going to send some miracle water to me. And so I wrote a check for $7.77 and sent it off. And not only did I get a little vial of miracle water, I got this little fleece thing that looked like sheep's clothes, and uh, it was not real, I, it was just fake. And then I got a letter asking now for $1,000, an investment into their ministry with the promise for my life for breakthrough. If I sent him $1,000, I was going to see breakthrough in my life. So I got out of the checkbook, and I wrote a check for it. No, <laughs> Jessica said, no way, are you kidding me? And I wanted to keep it. I think you threw it away. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I, I was looking for it uh, not too long ago. I couldn't find it. But how many have seen that? It's abusive. It's manipulation. Promising blessings of cars and homes or your health. If you send in, and if it's always money, 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 that is a red flag of false teaching. Now, let me pause, and I just want to say this, that is it true that God blesses you when you give? Absolutely. But with false teachers, it's all about the money in many cases, and we've got to be careful. And if you know a ministry that's only after the money, be aware. 
your antennas should go up. There is a sickness. Something is unhealthy. And ultimately, this is why it's so important, souls are at stake. False teachers are like a deadly disease. Now, there's three takeaways I want to kind of leave you with and just kind of wrap this up. The first is I want to encourage us to take these warnings that I'm talking about today to heart, to be aware, to don't just dismiss this. And I know we've got some believers, and you say, man, you know, I would never get tripped up in something that would be so foolish. Or, uh, but listen, we are called to be discerning. And whether it's in areas of uh, creation, like I mentioned, or the validity of, validity of Scripture, or areas of sin in our lives, or abortion, or homosexuality, or other things that would be a contrary to God's word. Premarital sex, for example, is it, it's just prevalent in the, that it's okay, or other things. Listen, false teachers, the Bible says, will arrive, and they will deceive many. And it talks about it, that it's not just those that are stupid, right, that are going to get tricked. It talks about the elect. And when I think of the elect, I'm thinking the cream of the crop. And I, and I look at you guys, and I think you guys are the cream of the crop. And the potential to be deceived is real, even for believers, those that are rooted in their faith. You say, well, how does it happen? Well, oftentimes they're very smooth. Or sometimes there are miracles that are happening or signs and wonders. And what does the Bible say? That there will be those that will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment at the Bema seat, right, before our Lord and Savior. And they'll say, hey, I did all these things. And God will look at them and will say, I didn't even know you. Depart from me. That's serious. False teachers are mentioned a whole lot in the New Testament. We've got to be aware. The second thing is our commitment to the Word of God. We can withstand the fiery darts of the enemy by the sword of the Spirit, by the shield, or like by the, all those things. We've talked about those things. But listen, when we are committed to God's Word, it makes the difference. We get to know the truth. We should be like the Bereans in Acts, Acts chapter 17 who search the Scripture once a year, Right? No, not once a year. Once a month? No. Once a week? They searched it daily. They were in the Word of God. And I just want to encourage you that, uh, that you must be in the Word of God on a daily basis. Don't take it for granted or don't rely on my study and my... <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching a long time today, I'm sorry. Uh, but 40 minutes of uh, maybe a message a week, right? You can't rely on that. You need to know it for truth for yourself. You search the scripture yourself and see if there's confirmation. You look for the truth, and the truth is found in the word of God. And so the commitment to God's word is absolutely important. And then the third thing is I want to encourage you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Spirit is a discerning spirit, right? And the idea, I want to live my life saying, Lord, show me what's right and what's wrong. I, I want to be listening. 
uh, to the warnings. I want to be a person that lives in consultation with people I trust that know and honor God's Word and that know the Word of God even better than I do. And I believe that when we have the right attitude like that, that God will lead and He'll guide and He'll show you the ways to turn. Amen? That's, what, that's how it works. There's a sad story. I mentioned this a few, maybe a month and a half ago when I was preaching on false teachers earlier in chapter 4, I think. But it kind of reemerged the story of Jim Jones in the People's Temple, right? And where almost a thousand people lost their lives one day. And what's interesting, again, is I was just kind of reviewing the story and then looking at a couple different uh, resources. Jim Jones came from a fundamental upbringing. He went to Sunday school. He went to Wheaton College, for goodness sakes. He had a religious background. Most likely was a believer as a young, young child. And what's interesting about the story is that he didn't just attract people that were, that were uh, not very smart. He attracted lawyers and doctors and educated people, businessmen. And then this article that I was reading it started listing people and their backgrounds and why they became, became part. And there were people from Nazarene backgrounds and Baptists. And this was shocked me. I did not know this. There were AG missionary kids that were a part of this organization that had left everything and went to Gahana. It, what's, you say, how does that happen? The reason it happens is because the enemy comes like an angel of what? light. And so it's not all bad. There had to have been some truth there, but it was twisted. It was perverted. And we have got to be careful. (coughs) The point is we must be alert. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to search scripture. We need to be looking it up. And some of you think, well, uh, you know, if we're careful with, gar- with doctrine, and I've heard people say this, well, if you're only talking about doctrine, or if you, some people say, oh, if you're an expository preacher, it can get dry, right? Well, listen, that it will limit the spirit, that is not true. Good doctrine, being in the word of God systematically, leads to holiness. That God is honored, and I believe it prepares us for a move of the Holy Spirit. And so I say, Lord, move here. We are hungry. We're thirsty for the word. And I believe that God honors that in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these moments. I pray that you just seal this time in our lives. Lord, I pray that, like I mentioned earlier, that hearts would be illuminated and challenged for your glory, for your honor. God, that you would make the difference in our lives. God, we thank you for this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.